Scott Bass, big update on our partnership front. Um, I think a lot of listeners know Rob Colby, or at least Rob's name. Um, Rob, they've met him at the boardroom show. They've probably heard interviews I've done with him on Surf Splendor. It's been a few years since then, but um, Rob has a new project called ColbyPlus.com. And um, essentially, so many of these brand partnerships that we have come just organically from listeners. In fact, I think most of them have uh, Trip Foreman with Real Water Sports, of course. The boys over at NVS just came through being listeners and then walked up to me at the boardroom show five years ago and handed me a set of fins, you know. But Rob was actually the very first partnership that we've had. I think it was seven years ago. Um, you and I bought Neat Essentials wetsuits, just paid, went through the website, paid for them. And then on air, you brought it up to me and you're like, hey, I got this incredible suit. Like there's no logos. It was inexpensive, really good quality. And I'm like, that's so funny you bring that up because I think I bought the same exact suit. So it's this kind of um, totally kismet moment that just happened organically. And then Rob reached out and uh, I ended up having a cup of coffee with him in Seal Beach. And he was the president of Quicksilver Americas, but he had made the leap to owning Neat Essentials USA. And so he's like, dude, I'm starting this. I want to share it with people. I appreciate you guys talking about it, but um, uh, I love what you're doing. And I also want to support you. I didn't even know how to bill for podcast advertising at that time. I was just like, uh, I Googled it, figured out what the fair going rate was and told him. And he, in fact, said, that seems low. I'm going to give you more than that. And so Rob supported us ever since. And, um, he's transitioning now. So he's, he still wants to support us. Colby plus is his new project. It's going to be focused on premium quality gear, which we will talk more about in the future, but he still has remaining inventory in his warehouse that he wants to get, uh, that he wants to move to make room for the new stuff. So it's all 30% off it's wetsuits, board shorts, traction that brings the traction pads down to under 20 bucks. You can access it all at colbyplus.com. Just click over uh, to the clearance tab once you're on that site. It's first come, first serve, so there's not a lot of product, and it is discounted, so it's going to go quick. But pretty cool, uh, pretty cool new adventure for Rob, for sure. Yeah, look, um, uh, colbyplus.com right now, you can get board shorts for under 40 bucks. Um, as this clearance sale goes on, so he can move product out of his warehouse and fill it up with the with his new stuff. So, um, I'm super excited. I spoke with Rob yesterday. We had a great phone call. And, um, as you mentioned, you know, I love, um, the loyalty factor here. Me too. Um, and, and so I'm looking forward to helping Rob and, and Colby plus, uh, continue on the way to prosperity and, and providing good things for you and I, the end user consumer, uh, super high quality product at, um, at a, at a value price, you know, like what's not to love about that. Yeah, completely. So we appreciate Rob and the gear that's um, available on clearance is the same gear that we've been using all along. So great stuff as well, but 30% off. You can't beat that. And you know, it's board short season, right? Like yeah, people exactly. are going on trips um, to warm, warm locales. And so there's board shorts. Um, and as you mentioned, traction is and fins and stuff like that. So there's plenty of stuff for your travel needs right now well especially because you know you get into travel season and these costs start to add up you're like oh i need another set of fins i need a leash i need some this and i need that and before you know it you're 800 dollars in before you even bought your ticket so this is a great way to kind of trim that budget 
Yeah. Colbyplus.com. So, yeah. So thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit. 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 We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. David. Yeah, guy. Oh my gosh, David. Yeah, guy. It is uh, Wednesday, David. It's May tenth, the tenth day of May in twenty twenty three, and um, I gotta say, I've kind of got foiling on the brain right now. I'm, Me too. I'm like, I'm a foiling kind of a geek. I had the longest conversation about foiling with um, Chuck Ames yesterday from True wow. Ames Fins. We spoke for a good 35, 40 minutes because he's a foil. He, he, he uses the wing, the wing foil. There's so many different elements to foiling. And by the way, I'm a complete kook. I'm completely green. I'm probably going to butcher the lexicon and the vernacular and all of that. I'm, I'm a complete newbie to this, but, but I've been going down the foil rabbit hole, David, and I don't know where to start. Are you going to consider using a wing or are you going to do prone paddle and foiling? Um, there's like kind of these little subcultures within this subculture. I know. So to bring listeners up to speed, Scott and I are going to real water sports in North Carolina in July, and uh, we're doing a foiling. The whole purpose of the trip is to spend a week there and learn how to foil. They do a retreat or they, they host classes, but they also have an, a, treat, a retreat right next to the um, retail store called the Waterman's Retreat. So we're going to stay there pay for foiling lessons for three or four days and really try to figure it out and then be able to kind of continue that journey once we get home. But it's like this intensive three or four days, Scott and I together making it happen. Um, so that's why we're bringing it up. But I don't know. I'm going to let the the person giving the lessons guide me into what the best way to start is. But I'm excited about it because, to be honest, the whole learning thing is what's fun. Like once you've kind of plateaued with something, it becomes less fun. And so with surfing, with actual like stand-up surfing, you know, then you get a different board and that becomes fun. Then you grab a glider and you're like, well, a totally different sensation. And that's what keeps things exciting if the waves aren't exciting. Um, so this opens it up, of course, in terms of being able to access different surf and different waves, but also just learning something entirely new. I hear what you're saying about sending me the surfer mag message board. Like, Hey, there's a whole wing on the message board about foiling and we are so green. We don't understand the lingo or any of that. I'm ignoring all of that. I don't want to participate in the subculture. No offense to anybody that's a part of it. I'm too old to try to fit in. I'm too old to try to get it right. Unfortunately, we're going to be talking about it publicly. So I am going to get it wrong and probably offend people. I don't care. I'm going to go down the beach away from everybody and just live in my own bubble. I just want the experience itself. Yeah. Well, look, I was just, when I mean going down a rabbit hole of the subculture, I specifically mean equipment. I mean, we're going to have to figure out the equipment. And uh, I agree with you. I'm going to yield to the experts at Real Water Sports and to Trip, who, by the way, I found out Trip was like a really good, like professional level windsurfer. Yeah. I didn't know that about him. And Apparently he was like really good at racing is what Chuck told me from true aims. 
And so he was like, dude, you, if you're going with trip, I mean, you're, you're in the right hands, just let trip kind of guide you. But I will say this, I'm sort of intrigued by the wing. I don't, first of all, I have no like wind or sailing experience, even though I worked on a sailboat, I know, I know very little about, you know, how it all works. Um, because I was just kind of a gopher on that boat. <clears throat> I wasn't really a sailor, but, um, uh, so that my point is, is that this whole, um, the whole understanding, um, how wind and sails work, I'm, t I have no idea really. I mean, I could fake it, but really, I mean, you know, hold the sail downwind, you know, like I'm kind of a, a kook, but I'm kind of intrigued by the winging portion because basically when you have a, a wing, like a sail wing, or they call it a wing, you've provided the power, like that right. is your engine, you know? And, and Chuck said, look, it's when you don't need it, you just kind of put it behind you and it just, it's just there. It doesn't bother you. You don't even notice it, but when you need power, you just power up. And the reason that I'm intrigued by that is mostly because I anticipate doing this in warm locales where there's wind. Like the beautiful thing is like, you can go to the Mentawise, you can go to Maui. Oh, by the way, that's really the big one. You can go to Maui and you're in, you're in foil heaven. If you have mm -hmm. a wing, mm -hmm. you're in foil heaven. You can just sail out, foil out to these outer reefs where there's open ocean swells and just hook up with these open oceans. And you're, there's no one around for miles. Like to me, that's, that but sounds pretty cool. But how do you learn? Like I'm thinking we incorporate the wing down the road, right? Well, like you said, let's you and I, we don't know, like we're going to go in and I'm basically going to go, I surrender, show me where to go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I think, and I know that's what you're going to do. And, but, uh, Chuck when, seemed to think that trip was going to kind of guide us towards, towards winging. So there's two ways that I look at that. Um, I've by the seen, way, hold on. I don't even know if it's called winging. I'm just calling it winging. So <laughs> it could be wing foiling. I, I'm just going to call it, let's go winging. <laughs> I think I'm, like, I'm, I'm under a false sense of confidence thinking that because I know how to surf and stand up, I will be able to stand up on a foil. Once the foil's up and running, that I will be able to somehow intuitively not not know how to do it, but have a leg up over somebody who's never surfed before, let's say. Learning how to control the wing itself feels completely foreign to me. So my thought was maybe just learn how to foil and uh, then we can incorporate the ring, the wing once we're kind of comfortable standing on a foil. Yeah. However, yeah, for sure. however, for sure. I've seen dudes in the lineup learning on a foil, uh, trying to paddle into waves. And once the thing gets momentum, it starts to lift and elevate. And watching them try to stand up to their feet while that thing's gaining momentum is a totally... Now I realize, no, that's nothing to do with surfing. That's also entirely different. So it may actually be harder to try to generate your own momentum and speed and get to your feet and then figure out the foil part uh, than it would be to learn the wing. But maybe there's a situation where they can tow you into the momentum and speed. You know, like if you are behind a jet ski or something like that, and then uh, once you're kind of up and running, then you can kind of learn those other details along the way, learn how to manufacture your own speed or whatever. Yeah. I, I you nailed it when you said, um, I think the biggest curve for the learning process is going from your belly to your feet while you're being raised 
three yeah. feet out of the water. You're, yeah, that it, looks all wild. of a sudden. Somebody told me it's like it makes you know a one foot wave seem like a six foot wave all of a sudden. Wow! Like, okay. Whoa, I'm way up here. You know, you're way above the water. Yeah. So yeah, but look, it's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. I am trying to um, learn a little bit about it, though. I don't. I'm Smart. not going to go in totally green. I want to go in just kind of understanding specifically about the equipment, you know. But yeah. again, I know Trip's going to be able to go. Here's the best way to do this. Boom, sure. boom, and boom. You know what I mean? So That's we're in such good hands with Trip at Real Water Sports, and um, well, I'm looking forward to that. We've also been getting lots of feedback from listeners, and I feel like. Uh, you and I are the last people to get into foiling now. I didn't realize <laughs> that everybody else was already into it because yeah. they're not like really a lot of the people that like Rainbow, for example, from New Zealand, who's a longtime listener and writes in and chimes in all the time. Um, he, I didn't realize he was foiling all along, you know, like we've only really talked about surfing with him, but he's been sending emails giving you and I advice as he thinks of it. And one of the things he said this past week was fall backwards. Like yeah, always I knew, I knew that one. Kick it forward, yeah. fall backwards. He's like, you are going to taco forward onto that thing. And if you get cut by that foil, it's going to really impede the, the learning process and all that. So to like, just always make sure. And you think that you can control it. He's like, once you feel like you're going down, you think you can recover and salvage it. No, no, no. Immediately abandon ship and make sure you kick that thing forward. So good advice. Yeah. And also with that in mind, you and I need to learn 100 yards apart from one another. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. There's going to be a lot. And I have heard that um, fall backwards. As soon as you feel like you're losing it, don't try to regain, just get it out of the way. It gets wider when you try heard... to regain it. It's like, woo, woo, woo. yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. It just keeps unwinding on you. Yeah. Um, I heard that it might be, it could be the case that with Trip and those guys that they have those electric foils, that they, they get you up on one of those electric foils just to get you a sense of the wing, mm. you know, or not I mean, the wing, the foil. See, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm confused. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, look, it's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, humbling, I believe, and I'm fine with that too. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm already humbled by it, so well, it's going to be good. Look, if um, if our endurance allows and stamina allows, we might be able to surf while we're out there too. Trip said the waves have been fun. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, that would be weird. I'm out there to foil, but that'd be funny if the waves were super good. <laughs> we abandon the foiling mission. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm I'm kind of psyched on the foiling mission. I'm psyched on the idea of going to Maui and not worrying about the waves. I know. just because you know the winds there. I know. So you just go and, and oh, by the way, you don't need to bring anything. You just like get off the airport, get off the airplane. Right there is one of the top specialty shops in Maui. Yep. And you just rent your gear right there. They're just like, here's the killer gear. You know, they got the best stuff in the world. Like that's uh -huh. the epicenter of all things, wind and windsurfing. I know. And you're off and running. It's Boom. as you're. As you're talking about it, it it makes me realize how much baggage I have figuratively as it relates to surfing. Like if you told me I'm going to Maui next week for a week, I'd immediately almost start feeling anxiety about like, okay, which boards do I bring? <laughs> do I even bring a board bag? If I don't bring a board bag, who am I going to get boards from? Can I rely on those boards? What are the waves going to be like? Oh man, the crowd there. I hate the crowd at that spot. You know, like I ought, I 
it's like, it's no fun anymore. Like there's less joy than there is all that baggage of anxiety built around it. Yeah. And that's so true. And it just speaks to our ability to focus our expectations and keep them low. And my expectation has to be, it's going to be warm and I'm going to have a good book. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. You know, it should be a good trip. I'm going to have a good book and it'll be warm. It's almost, (laughs) um, why I like this idea of going to North Carolina so much, even though it's not a surf trip, I'm not thinking about surfing at all. And so when trip said, dude, I just got out of the water. It was head high and clean as a whistle. You guys might get waves while you're here. I was like, oh my gosh, I was not anticipating it, kept expectation low. And the glimmer of that hope made me more excited than if I had a week long trip to Mexico. Because if I had the week long trip to Mexico, I would just be thinking about the crowds and how hot, you know, like all this stuff that just like feels like a drag to me. So it's weird. Well, it's going to be fun. We'll see what happens. We're on a new journey. Yep. And we'll, we'll uh, podcast not only while we're there, but I think um, maybe like record some interviews with local luminaries and publish episodes after the fact and stuff like that too. So you'll be, listeners will be along on the journey with us. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Um, I was thinking too, cause I've had a couple of people reach out about wanting to get together for beer or coffee or whatever. I was thinking we should do like, um, one night, like one public night, meet at a local restaurant for listeners to swing by if they want to. Yeah, that's a great idea. I would love that. Like a meetup. In fact, you know, I just gave away, we did a, um, I did a survey for people that go to the boardroom, a boardroom, um, attendee survey, I guess you could yeah. call it. Basically, just trying to get some information on, um, you know, what they do there, what they expect there, what they're going to, how many boards they have, how many boards they're going to buy, what, you know, all these different questions. And to motivate people, incentivize them to participate, I gave away a surfboard. Mm. I gave away one of those Timmy Patterson flying saucers. And I used the random generator that you and I use that, that is everywhere online to, ge- to generate the winner. And it was this guy in Orange County. And he was a listener to our show. He's like, I listen to your show all the time. I've been listening to you before David, like down the line or whatever, you know, in the lineup or whatever the hell I was doing back then. Down the line, yeah. And But he listens to our show. And um, and so my point is there's, and it was fun chatting with him, you know, like it, yeah. it's, and he was genuinely excited to talk with me and I was genuinely excited to talk to him. I mean, our listeners are smart. Um, it's just fun to talk to him, you know. They're, good, totally. they're good, good folks. Well, they're like-minded people. We all have the same interests, you know? Yeah, that's true. Self-selecting that's true. sample. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, I like that idea. Let's do that. Um, Stab in the Dark, did you watch episode one? I did. Are you excited for Stab in the Dark? I, it's become kind of a, a thing throughout the year that I look forward to. I am excited. I, I'm stoked. I love Elo. I love his energy. Um, I love... Ilo's um, sort of from the same vein as, well, all of these guys are really good at just being themselves and not being filtered, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best guy at that is probably Jordy. But Ilo's just doesn't feel like he's filtered, you yeah. know? Now, of course, the editing bay can do some filtering for Ilo's benefit, probably. But 
Um, as far as um, so communicating, reading these subtitles, I love. I, I, it's not a problem. I really I'm getting to know Elo in a better way, which I think is probably one of the greatest things about these is that you get a little closer to the real person rather than just some competitor in a jersey. And of course, his surfing is so much fun to watch. Even it's just so sparky and fast. And even though sometimes, you know, he's projecting his punts or whatever, um, he's just a fun surfer to watch, you know, he, it's kind of, and they all are. I mean, there, I don't think there's any of them that aren't fun to watch, but Elo's just so sort of a little spastic and a little, he's like a Tasmanian devil, you know, you're never sure which kind of whirling dervish you're going to get from him. And of course, uh, the boards and how the boards react and how you and I and the listener and the watchers of Stab in the Dark, when we all watch these waves, we're all going, he's going to keep that board and get rid of that board. I think he's going to like the wool based on that turn. And then sometimes we're surprised, you know, he comes in, he goes, I hated this board. And you're like, really? I just saw you ripping on that board. Yeah. How can you hate it? Well, it's interesting. First of all, the Tasmanian devil is the perfect analogy. I think you've said that over the years and that's so suits him perfectly. Um, it's funny. I think I have a totally different take than every other human being who's watched this. Cause I read through the comments section and there was a consensus in the comments section. And I think you just mirrored that consensus. I feel the exact opposite. I feel like I always look forward to stab in the dark. And I very much was with this because I, I do want to see Idolo, but I thought episode one was a total letdown because mainly because he was surfing a closeout. So I feel like the fact that he was surfing a closeout totally um, homogenized the surfing experience into like this super narrow, um, very like there was very few variables. Every wave looked the same. Every board essentially looked the same to me. He would get to his feet and like you said, spastically pump, 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 and boom, try to launch something. So yeah, sure. One or two of the airs was better than all the other airs, but there wasn't enough variation to determine which board really had, you know, worked better than the other boards. I felt like they all kind of looked the same to me. Um, so I don't think it was the best service to the shapers. And then I also feel like it just wasn't the most entertaining to watch. And then probably based on the tone and the vibe of the trip, they created, you know, editing to suit it. And part of that editing was, or maybe it was designed in advance, but it was basically this NASCAR or this F1 theme. So the boards look like F1 cars with a big circle and then a number in the middle um, that is larger than it's ever been before in this series. And then they put Idolo in a racing uh, one piece suit with the logos embroidered onto the suit. And then the graphic, the opening graphic is uh animated like a video game of a race car going down a track with Idolo driving and all that sort of stuff and i was like this feels so inauthentic and i understand like it is representative of Idolo's tone and all that and f1's hot right now and all that kind of stuff but i was like man this really feels like a far cry from what this series started out being you know and and i think i could have gotten over the graphics package and the editing and all that sort of stuff if he then went to some dreamy point break and was doing big carves and really mixing it up and comboing waves and stuff like that. But when he ends up 
at a closed out beach break that's literally shoulder high, if at best, you know, like chest high, waist high often. I was like, man, this is kind of a waste of my time. It was 20 minutes of watching the same wave over and over and over. And at the end, I was like, I couldn't tell the difference between any of those boards. That's how I felt. Yeah, I think that's really valid criticism. You know, um, what it boils down to is something that you and I have harped on since day one, which is the waves are the stars. And for sure, um, you know, the waves could have been a lot better. Um, I think they do want to get each guy in his own space, although Mick went to Japan. Yeah. But they had Taj at his home spot. I guess they have Elo at his home spot. I actually love the graphics. I loved the whole theme. Like, look, they're trying to put themes on these things, and this is the theme. And as you mentioned, the theme totally fits the person here. Um, and so I... But I do know that internally, I was like, I hope they move this thing to a different spot eventually. Like, I hope they go somewhere where it's good. You know, yeah. Like, could you imagine if they run the I whole I would say that that's there? that's a valid criticism that it just can't all be there. And then if it's not, then the criticism is, well, it's not fair to those first three guys to have, no. you know. But so so all that aside, let's talk about the structure of the event or the series. Um, obviously, it's a test pilot testing. I think 15 boards that are blind, you know, so uh, he doesn't know who the shaper is and he's trying to guess who each shaper is. Um, the three surfboards that he tested in episode one were Apukas shaped by uh, Alex or Axel Laurent, a Pizel and a Timmy Patterson. Timmy Patterson is Idolo's longtime uh, board manufacturer. Apparently the boards that Idolo rides mainly are shaped by the Timmy Patterson team down in Brazil. So they're generally not shaped by Timmy himself, but Timmy did in fact shape this board. Although Timmy didn't know who the test pilot was going to be. So he, the board that he designed or that he shaped was Idolo's model of surfboard that is available to the public. Timmy shaped it himself without knowing that Idolo was the team rider. And of course, Idolo wrote it without knowing that Timmy was the shaper. So he tests those three boards. And the way that this event is structured is that one of those boards gets selected to go into the finals. Did you have thoughts on the boards? Well, <clears throat> my main thing is some of the boards were PU and some of the boards were EPS. Correct. And... Idolo likes EPS. He yeah. said as much. Um, and uh, the Timmy was PU, I believe. Is that right? I think it I think was. it was. Because yeah. I remember him saying that it felt heavy. Yeah. And it and it looked a little stiffer, actually. But I would suggest to you that it's unfortunate. Again, I guess we have to go back to how the waves were because um, – I don't know. My, my feeling was I thought he picked the right board. I thought the board he picked was the board he looked the best on. Um, and that's kind of how I saw it. Like I, I, like I said, I was watching it going, okay, this one looks, I always look for the flaws. I mean, and we know he's going to surf really great, but it's the moments when it feels like he's bogging a little bit where I go, Oh, he doesn't like that board. Mm -hmm. He just bogged or that thing didn't respond that, you know, like I'm always looking for those moments when you're like, Ooh, yeah. I'm never looking for the, ah, I'm always looking for the, Ooh, sure. 
Well, so I don't, I don't think it's a spoiler to reveal it. Um, people have had enough no. time to watch the series now. It aired on Thursday last week, but the Pizel was the board that he picked. So I, I have criticisms about the structure of the event, but maybe they edited it uh, in a way that is different than it actually played out in real time. And also maybe um, there's a reason that I'm unaware of that will be revealed later for why they've structured it this way. But it seems odd to me that if you're writing three boards out of the 12 boards, I think there is total, that one automatically goes to the final. Because what if that, and two automatically don't essentially, because what if the three boards that he's writing in episode one were the three best boards out of the 12, you know, or what if they were the three worst boards out of the 12 and one is being automatically put into the final just because it's being compared against the other two. It seems like they're, they got a structure way for him just to find out what the best three boards out of the 12 are that would then make it into the final. Yeah, I agree. Look, Format-wise, there's probably a lot that could be done, but I think everyone should realize, you, me, the people that are watching it, and I know the people at STAB understand this, is that in some ways, it's, this is such a subjective thing that there's no way you're ever going to be able to like empirically go, this is the best one because he love, you know, said so. Um, so it's more about the entertainment quality, and it is also neat that he gets to ride all of these different boards and blindly, anonymously pick the one that he thinks is the best. I mean, there's some fun to that, and I think that everyone needs to, um, you know, digest this, all of these stab in the darks with a sense of fun and a sense of we're highlighting all these shapers. It doesn't if your board doesn't make it, it doesn't mean you're bad, you know. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it. So I think if we look at it from that with like a rose colored lens of subjectivity and realize it's an entertainment package more than anything. Now I know that the shapers themselves put a lot of, I mean, it does a lot for your brand. If you win this thing, it's a, it's, it is something to hang your hat on, but it also should be taken with a grain of salt. I think, I think you're right. It does a lot for the brand if you win, but I'm, I don't think it does damage to your brand if you don't win. I would agree. I don't think it does. I, I think everyone realizes the board that, Idolo doesn't like the most could be the board that I absolutely love the yes, most. We understand. You know? right. And you, you know, well, so, um, along those lines, what do you think about the idea of they automatically, automatically dispatch one without him even writing it? So maybe there's 13 to start and they say, which one of these feels like it's not <laughs> worth writing essentially. And I he, actually like that. Do you? Well, I do because, it's, it's, it's by feel, right? Like all he of us can know. take 13, all of us can take 13 boards and go of all of them. This one just feels and looks wrong. Like, I don't want anything to do with this one. I got my hands full with these other 12. I think it's, I think it's, if anything, that does a disservice to the shaper, you know, that the overall look and feel and weight and vibe, it's just, that's the one where I think it kind of hurts the brand a little bit. Well, but I think the thing that you said still applies, which is what feels right to me. I mean, for sure, what feels right to Idolo doesn't feel right to Gabe. And what feels right to Gabe doesn't feel right to anybody else if you've ever seen his boards. So I don't yeah. think it's a disservice to the shaper. It's just that the shaper didn't know who they were shaping the board for and what that person normally rides, you know? Oh, they don't know? I thought they knew. They're, no. no, they're just given dimensions. Huh? They're, well, there's, well they're the told, other thing this is, is a world is... tour shaper who is a goofy foot, who's this you right. know height and weight and all that sort of stuff. So. Well, the other thing is, as you recall, 
I think it was Takoro or Arakawa or one of the Hawaiian shapers got the unlucky 13 last time. Mm. It might have been Glenn Pang or I, I forget who it so. was, but yeah, it was Pang. But they brought him back. They brought yeah. that board back and they gave it a chance, which I thought was great. And I'm yeah. hoping that they do that with, I guess it was Hayden Shapes that got yeah. 86 right away. Yep. So we'll and, see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, additionally, um, what do you think about the idea that Idolo wasn't able to identify his own board model? <laughs> that was Is the it, best part of the whole thing. Was like Idolo is kind of he he just reminds me of a guy that's like oh there's a board yeah I'll take that one like he I know. he it, it's kind of speaks to his upbringing like didn't he learn how to surf on a trash can lid or something like that ice chest lid so he's just like dude I'll take anything you got you know what I mean like I'm not gonna give too much thought about this I'm just gonna take this thing if you got some wax even if you don't have wax I'm going out on this thing well and he, I thought it was kind of refreshing that he was just pretty much oh. It's so funny. And I think you're right. That's what makes this series totally, maybe that's why they picked Idolo is he's the exact opposite of Mick Fanning. Like Mick Fanning, who's fully, I think, attuned to board design and able to communicate it. Idolo does not, and even states as much in the opening sequence. He's like, I don't know why they would have picked me. I don't know anything about surfboards at all. He's like, I don't even pick up other surfboards. I don't feel other surfboards. I only ride these Pattersons, you know? Um, and it's funny because he got them all wrong. You know, when Jack Robinson, at the beginning of the episode, they always uh, have the surfer try to guess whose boards they are, which, which shaper shaped this particular surfboard just based on feel. Jack Robinson was nailing them and even sniffed it. And he's like, this one smells like a JS. I've had a JS before and it smelled like this. So Idolo was the total opposite. He couldn't identify EPS versus PU, you know, (laughs) which is kind of surprising. Um, So, yeah, so, but, and it also makes sense that, you know, it is his board model, but um, it's a different construction than he's used to. It's a different size probably than he's used to. He, any the, you were talking about the board looks stiff. He identified like, look, the, um, the hard edge goes up farther on this board than I'm familiar with or than I'm used to. And that's why the board felt stiff. So maybe on his personal customs, he's having it, you know, the edge put back farther. So down lower essentially. So there are all those er- variables, but it is still funny that he wouldn't be able to identify his own board. Just, yeah, he's a, he's a funny guy. It, you, you got the sense that it was the Idolo that we remember from 2017, 2018, 2019, you know, um, more of yeah. sort of this fun loving guy rather than this sort of polished Instagram Adonis guy that he's been putting out there, you know? Yeah. Well, congrats on Paisel for making it through. Paisel is a two-time winner. So um, it would be, I think the first ever three-time winner if he won this. And I think Britt Merrick might be a two-timer as well. So um it would be, and he's in this as well. I think he'll be writing, they'll be writing his board later in the, in the series. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out, but, um, I'm still going to be watching. I just feel like these are 20 minute episodes and he's surfing a closeout. I hope to get more variety in surf. Yeah. I'm trying to pull up the, all the shapers that are in this thing. Um, but it's sort of the usual suspects. There's a few that I've never heard of. Um, well, KT was a great addition. Speaking of Maui, um, I think Keith Taboul is his name. And yeah, I've 
KT does a lot of windsurf boards, but really kind of came into my awareness by making boards for Kai Lenny. You know, Kai Lenny has been kind of came out of left field for you and I who are so focused on um, short boards, you know, or just whatever competitive surfing and that Kai Lenny came out of uh, ride anything discipline and not just long boards and short boards, but obviously tow boards, kite boards, foils, everything. And uh, has taken over the world in terms of popularity and arguably becoming one of the most visible surfers in the world. And he's been riding KT's boards and I don't feel like there's even KT logos on them, or if they are, they're concealed by all the other logos and the blue and red color pattern that he has. Uh, but well, shout out. Because let what? me take a little bit. I think I misunderstood what you said, but as you recall, I was telling you that Kai Lenny was the greatest surfer in the world probably four or five years ago. I don't remember that conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I don't think know. that happened. Yeah. So he's not, he's not new to either of us. At one point I was like, this guy's better than Kelly Slater. You I and I had an were. argument about it. I know. And I still don't agree with the best surfer in the world, but certainly the most diverse um, surfer in the world, Laird Hamilton 2.0. But again, it's like where it's interesting how this happens sometimes where it's like, Gabriel Medina is the only surfer I know who rides Johnny Cabianca's boards, but he rides them two world titles, you know? And I feel like that's what happened with Kai Lenny is I had not heard about KT prior. And um, all of a sudden he's in the world spotlight because of it. And I think since then he's, he was, or um, shortly thereafter, I realized he was making boards for, I think it was Eli or Emi Kalani DeVault on Maui. And then Emi switched over to CI at a certain point, but he is, I think, uh, you know, um, getting boards for local hot ripping groms in that area as well. But uh, it's great to see him included in this kind of getting outside of Maui and being included in this conversation that is the world stage. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and, you know, I know that you, well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I know that when I see the shapers for Stab in the Dark, you know, you and I are always kind of trying to tweak on it and they've done a great job with it. So I'm just, just play along with me here, but I would like it if there was just a bunch of KTs, like if they had well established, known great shapers, but that didn't have the, um, the luck, if you will, because I think there is a lot of luck to it of having some red hot kid named um, you know, K Kanoe Igarashi riding your boards or, right. you know, so, or actually the great example is John, John Florence, you know, he's been riding Pizel since he was two years old or whatever. Right. Like that's really obviously, um, done a lot for the Pizel brand. And, and again, not that John's not already a great, but so if we had a lot of KTs in this thing, if Stab in the Dark had like, um, I don't know, KT and say like John Rosburn from New Jersey, you know, totally. Or um, I know there's some guys in Europe, you know, that are in France or even down where Axel is that are also really great high performance shortboard shapers, you know, um, like who makes Frederico Marias's boards? It's probably Axel, but, you know, um, maybe like a guy like, um, I, I don't, there's so many guys, but like maybe a guy like Christensen or um, who makes like a really uh Matt Moore in Santa Barbara. I think Matt's still shaping. Guys like that, right? There's guys in Santa Cruz that 
like Joey Thomas or something, you know, like have all of these guys make boards for stab in the dark and have somebody like Elo who, or the, you know, whoever it is, the hot guy du jour do stab in the dark with a high performance shortboard from all of these guys. I think then we'd be doing a real service to the greater good. Um, Cause to me, it gets a little stale when it's the same, basically it's the same 10 or eight guys and they throw in a few four wild cards or whatever. Um, well, so I, think I don't know what argument, are your thoughts on that. What do you, yeah. I think the general argument would be that if the market and the world has determined who the, you know, fastest race cars are, then why would we want to put in another brand of vehicle that hasn't fine tuned their performance to really compete on the fastest lap? But well, I think you're, that you're, you're assuming you're, that. You're that's assuming what I'm saying. So I think your argument is still valid, which is that's a misnomer. It's like, yes, absolutely. Channel Islands, Pizel, Mer- um, uh, Mayhem, DHD, all of those are producing incredible surfboards, but they're also benefiting from kind of a marketing thing and how, what all these other details, team riders and all these things that have allowed them to be kind of on that world stage. There's a lot of guys, backyard guys who are also producing boards of that quality, um, that could compete with those if they just had the proper marketing and whatever other channels to be visible. I mean, as an end user, would that excite you? Would you, would you be excited to know that stab in the dark has a whole new slate of shapers and we're not going to tell you until we, you know, next year when we unload, but I think that would be kind of exciting. I I would be very excited actually about that. So they have, there's, um, RM surfboards is included in this conversation, which is Ricardo Martins. He's in Brazil. Mm -hmm. I had not heard of him before. I think I'd seen the label before, but I didn't know what it stood for or anything. So it seems like maybe they are filtering that in. And even KT to a certain degree, I think most people haven't heard of. And the boards that he has been famous for making are Kai Lenny's boards, which aren't high performance pointy thrusters. So maybe those two are the kind of outliers for this conversation and we'll see how they perform. Um, yeah, but I, I would love to see all 12 of them yeah. be... I and, and look, to be frank, I come into this, um, I, I get into the same problem with the shape off where, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like sometimes it's the same guys and people are like, how come it's the same guys? And I'm like, believe me, I wish it wasn't. I, I would love it if there was all new guys, but I'm not the guy who chooses who, who shapes the boards. It's the honoree. You know, mm-hmm. in this case, it'll be Bing Copeland. Last time it was Timmy Patterson. So you know, as an end user, I want to see new blood. Everyone wants to see new blood, you know, and I get it, but sometimes we end up with the tried and true, the guys that are legends. And that's certainly what, um, Channel Islands and Pizel and Matt Biolis and DHD and JS and all of these guys are. So sharp. I am Marcio forgot forgot about sharp. I in this conversation. Um, but they're always in it. Uh, I know to your point of what you want to see, I think that's largely what they do with the electric acid surfboard yeah, but it's test. different, but it is. Yeah, I, it is, it, it is. And I know that's what they would say, but I want to see those shapers that make high performance shortboards get a chance with the Edelos and the Geordies and the McFannings of the world with high performance shortboards. I think that yeah. would be a fun way to do it. And, and frankly, on the inverse, have, have Britt Merrick and 
Sharp Eye Marcio and DHD and Matt Biolis and all these guys make some electric Kool-Aid, which I guess Matt was in the last electric Kool-Aid acid test <laughs> with Donald Brink, right? So, yeah. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it would be good for both, both for eat all of the brands if they've said, oh, by the way, Channel Islands makes a sick fish. They just came out with the G skate or whatever. You know what I mean? And they all, yeah. they all come out with alternative crafts for the Kool-Aid acid test. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Like you kind of stated with Santa Cruz, just to do it regionally. Like I would love to yeah. see like Matt Keckley, Bruce Reagan, you know, yes. Like a whole. That, that's floor. a great name. Those are great names right there from the Florida zone. Yeah. And then like you said, Jersey, there's a bunch up there too that you could do for Jersey yeah. and um, that whole Northeast. Yeah. So, so anyway, anyway, anyway yeah. <laughs> um, I mean like Pat Mulhern, you know, like Pat Mulhern makes an insane shortboard. Yeah. A high performance shortboard. He's just a high performance surfer too. You know, like totally. there's a name, you know, there's so many guys, there's a bunch of guys. I mean, yeah. um, well, moving on from, unless you had anything more to say about. Stephen no, I'm Dark. looking forward to the next one. I guess it drops on the Thursday. 11th, I think. Yeah. They air on Thursday afternoons in the U S. Um, I have a, thought exercise I want to present to you. Yes, sir. Um, we touched on the leashless ban in Byron Bay last yeah. week. Yeah. So the city council has voted to ban leashless surfing, meaning you have to wear a leash at the pass. Uh, I saw, or a listener actually sent, I believe you and I both a DM on Instagram, which was a metropolitan city in the U S outlawed uh, rolling through stops for cyclists. So cyclists notoriously, you know, there, there's, um, a lot of vehicle drivers who complain about cyclists taking over the road and not abiding by traffic laws. So the city cracked down and they're like, if you are a cyclist and you roll through a stop sign or stop light, you will be ticketed. So all the cyclists said, this does not make sense. It's not great for the flow of traffic. It's not safe for us. We are looking out for our safety at all times. And that's why we're making some of these decisions on the fly. So as an act of peaceful protest, we are going to go ahead and abide by your rules. And on a given day, all the cyclists went for a ride. There's a giant Peloton and they all stopped at the stop sign, not together as a collective Peloton, but one after another. There is a line miles long of cyclists waiting to waiting their turn at the stop uh, sign to then make a left-hand turn. And it backed up traffic throughout the entire city, essentially. So everybody got to the vehicles who were trying to get to work, get to a four-way stop, and there's a line of one, you know, 100 bicyclists also waiting their turn to go. So essentially, uh, multiply creating more traffic by a multiple of 10 because you're not just waiting for the cars. Now you're also waiting for cyclists and they did it around the city and they basically gridlocked the city by abiding by the rules. And so it was an interesting, it's kind of an interesting thought exercise to do, which you presented last week, which is what if everybody goes out there and wears a leash? Will there be more accidents and, and more injuries? Doesn't wear a leash. Doesn't wear a leash. Correct. Or, or conversely, does wear a leash. There will be more injuries likely, you know, by that same rationale. So um, I just thought that was kind of an interesting analogy with the cyclists. 
Yeah, I did see that. And um, I mean, it's it's fun that they did that, but I, I just feel like it's not realistic. I mean, that's not just how people don't just go out 100 bikes at a time. And so they do on Saturdays in San, in your neighborhood on PCH. I guess they do. I guess you're right. They kind of do. The point is, anyway. the point is like, uh, it's incredibly difficult to legislate. Well, certainly with cyclists, it might be easier with cyclists, but it's incredibly difficult to legislate what's going on in the water with surfers. And, um, it's actually impossible. And so we need to be responsible for ourselves. And, uh, I think that your part or your analogy was correct in that there will be more injuries. If we do abide by your rules, there will very likely be more injuries and chaos and pandemonium. So let's go ahead and see how that plays out. We'll get back to it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it does play out. Again, my thought, as I mentioned last time, and I spoke with Devin after you guys talked about it and he and I had a long chat and he in fact reminded me that, at one point I submitted this, I actually submitted like a, a very long piece for a college paper I wrote once about surfing leashless. It was like, you know, it had to be 20 pages long. So it was a little wordy, but, um, I then boiled that down and sent it to Scott Hewlett, who was the editor at Longboard Magazine at the time. And Evan, or Devin had just gotten a job there as like a, you know, 22 year old associate editor or whatever. And it was in his desk and he was reading it and we had a good conversation, but we, what we boiled it down to was let's see how it goes for a month without leashes. What if we just see what the, let's do real data. Let's see how many people get injured, how many rescues there are, you know, like in some ways it could be really good for the city budget to have more rescues. You know what I mean? (laughs) Anyway, I remember as when I worked at the lifeguard department, we were always trying to pump up the padding on the stats so that you could go to the city manager and ask for more money. You could get, you know, more trucks and more boats and more hire more people. That's funny. Well, I I understand the confusion for new surfers, uh, the confusion of this whole conversation and the argument to not wear a leash. If you're a newer surfer and you've entered the sport through a crowded spot like the Pass or Malibu, you would not at all understand the benefit of not wearing a leash. And I even saw in the comments section on that Instagram post with Devin, um, people saying, I don't understand. What's the argument? Why wouldn't you wear a leash? And it, and then I realized how disconnected it is, you know, yeah. the conversation is. Yeah. Um, and the, so many of the virtues of not wearing a leash are very difficult to articulate. There's a whole mm-hmm. different mindset when you're not wearing a leash. Yeah. And uh, that mindset is actually grounded in like learning the fundamentals of surfing. But yeah. um, Lauren Hill, who now lives in Byron, I think she's from Florida originally, but I, she wrote a little essay uh, that I think is on Patagonia's website, but you could link to it from her Instagram account. <clears throat> which is weighing in on this conversation, but from her own personal point of, she starts out by saying, I learned how to surf without a leash and here's all the virtues inherent in that. So it wasn't saying what you should do or what everybody else needs, what needs to be implemented legally. She was just saying, here's my experience and 
man, all these virtues came from not using a leash. I became more conservative. I got fewer waves. I shared more waves. I was a lot more discerning about the waves that I picked, you know, so that I wouldn't fall and so that I wouldn't lose my surfboard. And in fact, if I would have had a leash, I would have lost my surfboard a whole lot more. And I would have taken off in sections with other people more critically and potentially put them at risk, all of that stuff, you know? So it was like a really rational explanation of how it would play out in a larger population just based on a sample of one, essentially. Yeah, and I'm sure she nailed it because that's really, and you nailed it too, that's basically what it is, is that it it comes from this real um, sort of purist standpoint that if you learn without a leash, eventually the upside is so much greater regarding your own health, your own ability, yeah. your your uh, the humility that it com- that comes with it of knowing you know where you're at. Um, can you? I mean, in the wintertime, there's guys that paddle out that if you cut their leash and sent their board in, they would need to be rescued. Oh yeah. And I've always felt that if you can't swim all the way out to the breaking waves and swim back, you should not be surfing out there. That's like pretty much, you know, surf etiquette 101 where, where I grew up. 100%. And I think that, and I, and it's not an ego thing. It's a know your limits thing. Absolutely. And, and I've, I've had to save guys. I've had to take my leash off and give my board to a guy. Wow. Who is, who lost his board on a big winter day wow. and was like, help me, help me, help me. And I'm like, here, you know, and. Yeah, it's a know your limits thing for the survival of the species, for the good of the community, for society at large. If you don't know your limits, you are then putting me at risk and me at danger, and that's not good for the community. So as a community, let's recognize steps A through C, and then you can go ahead and paddle out step D. You know, But if you're going to just jump to D by virtue of having a leash on, that's it's, it's problematic for the community. Yeah, I think it is. I think there's, there's real issues there. Um, Yeah. And we'll see how it plays out. I mean, the, the scary thing is the precedent's now been set as far as municipal law. Yeah. And so, you know, what's next is, is Crescent head next is Scott's head next is Malibu next where's the next place that the next domino that falls? Yep. That is a problem. Hopefully everybody takes actually surveys the data of what happens here in terms of injuries with everybody wearing leashes. And maybe that'll thwart the progress. Like I said, they should have no leashes at snapper rocks on a four foot day. Yeah. Four to six foot day, like a legit day at snapper rocks, no leashes. I guarantee you, everyone complaining about the 70 people that are out there, it would be whittled down to 20. Yeah, forget about and, 70. And those 20 would be rotated through the, you know, yeah. they'd be walking back up the point, jumping back out. You know, it, it would be, it would be nirvana. <laughs> and if you're exactly. not one of the 20, go get good enough to become one of the 20. Exactly. And you do that by jumping in and dealing with it. I love it. I think that solves it. Um, I've got one or two more topics to discuss, but do you need a bathroom break, Scott? I think I can go. And I don't mean in my pants. I think we can keep on going. We can keep going. Wow. It must be. But you never know with me. You never know. You know, like 
just shout out when you need. Um, I want to. So I'm like, I'm like the old parent in this deal. We're an hour in. I've never seen you go this long. Scott, I saw you guzzling your AG1. I was wondering why the show was so high energy. And then I saw, there it is, athleticgreens.com slash surf. Yeah, look, I love my athletic greens. Um, and I know you do too. And I know your family and my family, we're all big uh, proponents, man. I drink this stuff every day. It's uh, easy. It's all the nutrients in the world that I would need. Look, I'm a guy that eats lots of vegetables anyway, but yeah. um, on top of that, I, I chug my AG1 and uh, it's all organic nutrients. They're great, organically sourced. It's an easy to drink, flavorful powder that I mix with water and it's boom, well, super good for you. The other day, in addition to AG1, I was out and about and um, bought a green juice, like stopped by, there's a juice shop. I'm like, sweet, I need a little meal replacement like i'm not hungry enough to eat but i want a little something so i stopped and got a juice guess how much a green juice cost me 8.95 14 dollars holy shit i was like this is unaffordable like if you were trying to do this every single day this is insane you know and vegetables yeah. are inexpensive why is this so much um and uh that's the point is ag1 i think it costs about I don't even know what it costs, 30, a uh, dollar a day, 50 cents a day, something like that. But they, if you go to athleticgreens.com slash surf, you sign up, they ship you one pouch of powder to your door monthly. And, um, yeah, you just put a scoop in and you get all of your, it's actually whole foods as well. It's whole foods greens that they mash or pulverize into a powder. And then you just mix the powder with water, but it's organic. It's sourced. It's all made in New Zealand, sourced from New Zealand. So, um, and it's top quality stuff. So it's an easy solution to ensure that you get all that stuff and, um, it's efficient 20 seconds a day. I feel, I feel like New Zealand has it figured out. Like everything that comes from New Zealand is good. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing bad that comes from New Zealand. It's all good. I mean, anybody who's been there and anybody who lives there will absolutely verify that fact. So, and they seem to be welcoming as opposed to other places in the world that are like, shh. Don't tell anybody it's a secret. Everybody I've talked to in New Zealand is like, come hang out, like check it out. It's amazing. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll hear from Rainbow about this. I haven't heard from Rainbow. But I thought he was, I thought you were copied on the emails he's been sending about foiling. I don't, I don't think so. I I'll haven't send, seen I'll any. I'll send it to you then. He might have a different email address for you. Um, anyway, ag1.com yeah. slash surf, right? Athletic, that, no, is it athleticgreens.com. Yeah, athleticgreens.com slash Surf. Surf in unison. Thank you, Scott. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInJobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So I had a conversation with Ben Freeston who started Magic Seaweed and then is now the vice president of product and innovation at Surfline since those two companies merged. Yeah. And um, we, you and I were talking about artificial intelligence on recent shows and how that might affect surf photography specifically. Well, Ben brought to light a whole different thing, which is machine learning for all of Surfline's cameras. So wow. try to wrap your mind around this, okay? And they've been implementing this for a while, but as the software gets more sophisticated, the implications are unknown. Um, but think of each Surfline camera as a sensor. And all that they have to do is design processing software to identify different things on that sensor because they're tracking it. The sensor is operating 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and has been for 10 years. So you're not just figuring out this last winter and what that means for next winter. You have data from 10 winters, which really creates a lot more sophisticated prediction for next winter. And so that sensor, I was like, well, Clearly, the sensor can identify, you know, frequency of waves and maybe to a degree wave height, but can it really identify a barrel versus a mushy wave and things like that? And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're tracking, you know, the curvature of the wave, the amount of spray blowing off the back of the wave, all of these different things that are letting us know how hollow the wave is or how mushy the wave is or how fast the wave is breaking down the line. like." everything that you want to know as a surfer. And then by the way, how many people are in the lineup? What time did they show up? How quickly did they drift down the beach based on the current that day? Like we will be able to predict uh, human behavior in the lineup based on whether it's one foot or five feet or six feet, you know? And uh, I was like, my mind was starting to bend with him explaining the sophistication. Well, here's what's there's so much here, right? There's so much to chew on. And the first thing I went to is back to Byron Bay. We could probably, as they implement this leash law, see how many people get hurt. But anyway, back to Surfline, that is fascinating, right? What they can do. I mean, machine learning is so, it's gonna it's next level. And I'm so look, those guys, I think the guy who's who's now the CEO or Kyle Laughlin. Um, I mean, he comes from he comes from the Silicon Valley data te high big tech, right? Doesn't he? Yeah, no, he was at Disney. Yeah, that's what but I thought. He, yeah, he's like a big tech guy, or he has access to all those guys. So that's that's fascinating. Um, I was on a call last night um, with a bunch of people, and they were talking about Surfline and their Surfline's ability to 
to disseminate data and they have um, a great, as you mentioned, wealth of resource of data at their fingertips. And it's, it's pretty exciting. Now, are they, was Ben suggesting that perhaps at some point they can almost put a fake cam reel up based on, look, on May 10th for the past 20 years, it's been like this in San Diego at La Jolla Shores. So we're going to roll out what we think it's going to be like next. Like if it's May 10th, we're going to tell you what we think it's going to be like on May 17th. A week from now, this is what I think it's going to look like. And here's a video of it. Uh, I don't think that's too far of a conclusion to jump to, but he did not say that. Which means it's happening. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he said, well, there's lots that he wasn't saying, right? Yeah. And I, I didn't want to make this implication to him directly, but I kind of poked at it, which was the next step for any, any tech company, um, if, or not any, but a lot of what we've learned from Facebook and other things is they collect your data, right? And then they, you become the product essentially that they're selling to other people. So I was wondering, like if you're wearing an Apple watch and you have the Surfline app on your Apple watch and you're surfing and you're in the lineup, it doesn't seem that far of a stretch to think that they would be tracking you not on the Absolutely. camera sensor itself, but tracking you on your wrist itself and identifying how long did you paddle out for? How much energy did you exert? What were your behaviors? Who did you talk to in the lineup? What words did you say? Like all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so I didn't ask him that specifically because I think the answer would be absolutely. We do not do that. And they probably don't. I'm not implying <laughs> that they do. Right. But that's right. what that's where the tech companies have gone that we know of. Well, you the know? thing is, is that they might not be doing it, but they can sell the information to a company that might want to. It is fascinating, right? Like, oh, by the way, this guy goes here every time after he surfs for a burrito. Let's send exactly. him some burrito ads. Exactly. Or he gets he got a ticket yesterday. Let's send him a California State Parks get your, get your season pass thing, you know, like uh, there's a million and one different ways to take it. And, um, look all that's what the entire world is now. It's not just, you know, one company, everyone's doing it. Well, and I'm and not even uh, like, I'm not, um, freaking no, out we're not about throwing it. shade and I'm no. not freaking out about it either. I think the implications of the uh, more sophisticated, more sophisticated forecasting that they can do based on the technology that is already in their lap is incredible. Like to think of how sophisticated surf forecasting can become is game changing. Yeah. And it should spell good news for the WSL and the purple blob tour, because, uh, it shouldn't be too hard to to nail down an event in pretty good waves if you give them two weeks and well, if a, a lot of information. Yeah, I mean, if they choose to care about that at some point. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's that's the first. We got to get to step one. If they choose to care about running in good surf, then yes, they could absolutely run in good surf. Well, look, let's be clear. They want to run in good surf, but is it their number one priority? No, they have other things that are pulling them, time constraints, number of athletes, um, relationships with um, legacy holders that want to make sure that certain events continue to happen because it's part of the culture. All of these things are, um, you know, pulling on the powers that be, which is why it's easy for you and I to sort of whiteboard a perfect tour. Um, but it's, it's a little bit more difficult than that, obviously. Um, 
in the last event when Eric Logan was in the booth, Joe Turpel said, what, what are the goals for the WSL? Eric Logan explicitly stated in one sentence, to build the biggest, most visible platform for surfing. That's what he said. So okay, that's the goal. Speaking of that, have I, I did a Google before the show trying to find out a search on the Shapers Cup. I couldn't find out. Nothing popped up. Um, I'm wondering know, who's I, leading that. Is there a place where there's like a leaderboard for the Shaper? It's the Visla Shapers Cup. I think it's called the 2023 Visla World or Championships Tours Shapers Cup. That's the so, official title. It's funny that Is you say that. Is there a place where I can go find this? No, uh, on their Instagram account, but they updated it after the last event. So it's 20 posts Very deep at this point. Yeah. But yeah. I, you're, it's funny because I did go and look for it on their website and their website doesn't have the information on it. But on the Instagram, if I recall correctly, when I looked at it after the last event, uh, Sharp Eye was still in first. Channel Islands was in second. I believe DHD might have been third. And then Pizel and uh, I'm struggling. Mayhem maybe was in the fifth spot. Oh. I think those are the top five. And uh, I think in that order as well. well um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, of course, you know, as a, as a surfboard guy, I'm psyched on giving more attention to the uh, to the shapers and to the surfboards, and um, I'm stoked on the whole thing. I just was hoping to get to be able to dial in an update, especially like you'd think there would be one on the WSL site. I know that's all. Yeah, no. But, um, two other things that I got for you. Huge yeah. congratulations to Surfing World Magazine, the longest running, con consecutively running, running, consecutively running surf magazine on the planet. They just had their 60th anniversary, believe it or not, issue number 420 on the shelves. Wow. Now. That's amazing. Isn't Good it? for them. I know. Speaking of legacy surf media, you know what I've noticed is that Surfer Magazine kind of exists like online. Yeah. Not as, but it just quietly happened and it's not what it once was in the sense of a magazine with a cover and all of that. It's just, it's kind of like any other website thing where it's like you kind of post all the same news that you and I talk about or whatever's breaking on Instagram or a shark attack here or a world championship tour event there. And yeah. then they'll like just grab YouTube videos and it's kind of like, um, and like an, inor an inertia kind of content model Yeah, where they're just plugging in press releases and then doing a little spin. Um, but there's a guy I want to say is, is his name Dashel person is the guy kind of running it. I think he's, one point i think he might have worked at surfline or somewhere and i might be mispronouncing his name and i apologize if i am but anyway congrats to surfing world 60 years of print magazines i always think of surfing world always had the most insane they had um who's that combination um of photographers that they had that it was like um mcleod and oh yeah hugh mcleod aikton or something like that. Aikton McLeod. Dan Aikton. Wasn't there like a combo? Ant. Yeah. Huh? McLeod and Ant. I remember Ant was no, the nickname. I don't think it was Ant, but anyway. 
Oh. Um, they always had just insane photography. I remember just, and like real thick, glossy paper, you know. I know. And just incredible stories. I mean, any any given issue, you pick it up and it's some, you know, epic surf trip with, I don't, it was just so much different than the California surf mags that I was always familiar with. And I didn't have access to it until more recently, like the last 10 years or whatever. So I'm kind of doing a deeper dive, but so much of it is set in history. Like there's stories, it's Derek Hine writing a story about a trip that he did in the eighties, you know? Um, and a lot of that exploring stuff around yeah. Angary and early days. Just a lot spots. of like pictures of some salty bearded surfer with a big red lobster in his hand mm-hmm. and a cold offshore wind and exactly Western yeah. odds somewhere. And I just remember how, how that magazine made me want to go to Australia more than any other magazine, you know, it, it really like, does. It's a great point. It makes you want to go live that bush life. Totally. Um, and then the other little detail that listeners might be interested in, um, and it's been going on for a couple of months now, but Jamie O'Brien is in the podcast game now. Uh, it's the J-O-B, po- the Who is J-O-B podcast. Um, and then Nathan Florence and Koa Rothman are also in the podcast game. So those are all three people have um, really done well in the vlog space utilizing YouTube. And there's a comedian who I only have a vague awareness of, but his name is Bert, I think, Kreischer. And uh, he's learned how to surf and ended up in Hawaii and somehow connected with those guys. I think they all have kind of big YouTube followings. And so those professional surfers look up to him for what he's done on YouTube with his comedy fans and audience. And Bert told them, why aren't you guys making podcasts? Like I make a killing off of my podcast and it's easy relatively. And so he talked them all into starting podcasts. And um, it's funny because none of them are very good at podcasts. <laughs> like in my opinion, they don't understand the medium and they don't, um, I don't think they're fans of podcasts. Like they didn't learn the medium, become fans of the medium and then do their version of it. But they're doing a very different thing than what I uh, try to do or what I think is good. And it's working for them. It's much more adjacent to their YouTube, but I read the, the reviews on iTunes and stuff and their YouTube fans are listening to their podcasts and they love their podcasts, you know, and they're like, holy cow, these guys are killing it. It's great to have these additional longer form conversations than what we get from them on YouTube. So I thought that was worth directing our listeners to because if our listeners are listening to us, there's a good chance they might like those as well. And Jamie O'Brien gets A-list guests. Like Jamie O'Brien, for an example. Um, he gets like Beyonce and shit. <laughs> I don't think Beyonce. He gets A-listers. But he got, like episode one was Jack Robinson. Episode two, yeah. Griffin Colapinto. He's got Kalani yeah. Chaplin, Chapman, Eli Hanneman, Brent Bielman. And the one that I listened to, which was posted on Friday, was with Nathan Florence. And... Um, I just, Nathan Florence has become somebody I really love. I love hearing from him. I love watching him. He's an insane surfer. The waves that he goes and chases down are just, you know, like crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, But he's so articulate and smart to hear him really engage with Jamie. was really interesting. He's he's got a sincerity and authenticity um, and a humility 
that's that's pretty refreshing. And his insights too into John John, you know, like hearing him talk about yeah. John John is really interesting because they're so different. Uh, what what Nathan's goals are in life and all that is so different. And to hear him kind of talk about John's ultra competitiveness and ultra extreme, like the hikes that they would, John would force him to do and stuff like that is really interesting. Um, and it's like, to be perfectly honest, Jamie is not all of those things. Like Jamie is not particularly articulate. I don't think he's, um, super sophisticated in his way of communication or, but he's got a lot of passion. And so to hear those two kind of discussing things was a really interesting conversation. And then the, the Nate and Koa show is the name of the other podcast. Um, I think, Nate, I think Jamie does a really good job on the, um, on the house surfers get paid thing. I thought he was very articulate and very, um, forthcoming and, and, um, insightful. And I thought he communicated really well on those, you know? Well, he gives you more of that in that conversation with Nathan too. Like really, he explains like, dude, I used to get paid 2 million bucks a year through sponsors. And then, and then I lost my house, you know, like I lost all of that and I had to sell my house and I had to figure out how to make it work. And so that's why, you know, I've taken everything into my own hands essentially. And I'm controlling my own destiny through not only the YouTube thing and uh, selling merch, but he's got a surf school now and all these other podcasts. I didn't know Jamie stuff. lost his house. That's what he said. That brand new house that he built a few years ago? Probably not that one because that one's funded by his YouTube, but probably before that. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, well, but it sounds like, like he's got it going on, which is cool. I'm stoked that he's got something going and he seems to be doing great. So those are, those are new podcasts that you guys should listen to if you're into it. Look, I listen to tons of podcasts. Not very many surf ones. As you know, I listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I listen to the Thomas Jefferson Hour. Um, I listen to Scott Galloway's podcast. Um, I listen to this crazy macroeconomics podcast that's just like next level commodities and uranium and gold and the price of oil. And, and it's stuff I don't know about, but it's stuff that I try to learn about and that I... I pick stuff up sort of through osmosis from just listening to it. I start to kind of understand it. So I think that's the beauty for me in podcasts is that it's just a great learning opportunity. Yeah, I think so too. That, that learning through osmosis thing is key for my learning too. Like if you sit me down with calculus and try to explain it from beginning to end, it really feels like um, I'm hitting my head against a wall. But to sit in the car and just hear people talk about it and slowly be exposed to concepts and ideas, it then creates a context for me to be able to process kind of the nuts and bolts of it down the road. Yeah, you know, I'm going to send you this one podcast. It's called Macro Voices, and it's not something I would ever listen to. It's like kind of like next level Wall Street stuff. Market commentary with weekly interviews with the brightest minds in the world of finance and macroeconomics. And like I said, like 80% of it's over my head. Like I don't mm. even understand what they're saying. The vernacular, like they talk about stuff. I'm like, I don't even know what they're what that means. But they have guests on there that are fascinating. I'll send you one of them that I think is mind-blowing. And then another one is, you know, this Oppenheimer movie is about to come out, which I'm excited mm -hmm. about, right? And Dan Carlin has a one episode, um, he calls it, 
an addendum or something, but it's it's one episode, but it's like three and a half hours long. And it's called The Destroyer of Worlds. And it's about thermonuclear global annihilation. And it's started out as a commentary on the Bay of Pigs and the situation with Kennedy and all that, but he realized it was a much bigger um, piece that he had to do. So he broke it out and from the from the development of the bomb to where we're at now and the different geopolitics that went down all through these different stages. It's fascinating. Destroyer of Worlds, Dan Carlin. If you're into this Oppenheimer movie, I think you'll really love this podcast. Good rack. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, great show. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. The, dude, the boardroom show's going Richter. I'm pretty excited about it. We've got, I'll give you a rundown of who we've got in it right now. A New Earth Project, Dick Brewer Surfboards, Channel Islands, Crime, Bonzer Brothers, Corbin Surfboards, Gordon and Smith, Firewire, Hobie, FCS, Futures, Slater Designs, Prima Woodfins, Lost Surfboards, Hanson Surfboards, Linden Surfboards, Tomo, Gryptolite, Stu Kenson, Wayne Rich, NVS, of course, Mamala Surf Wetsuits, Stay Covered Accessories, Leashes and Board Bags, Lightning Bolt Surfboards, Rusty, Trees Wax, Roger Hines, Huskaweeg, Surf Tech, Jerry Lopez Surfboards. So these are just some of um, the exhibitors that are already in the show, and we're adding more weekly here. So I'm pretty excited about it. And we're going to be selling surfboards, the largest surf marketplace in the world, the boardroom coming up in October. It's going to be a lot of fun. Scott and I will be there. So many of the people that we've interviewed over the years will be there. And um, like you said, surfboards available available for purchase, but bespoke one-offs that are really the show boards. Like these are literally the show boards. They built them for the show and are putting their best, finest work on display. So uh, not only on display, but for sale. We're selling these the boards. Thing. These people, you can come and get great deals too. It's we're we're going to be stressing that this is the place it to come and place. get great yeah. deals. No question about it. Boardroomshow.com. All right. Well, David, until next time, adios and aloha. <laughs> <laughs>